Hello and welcome to the Deathcast, the place where the cool creepy kids come to get their true crime. I am your host, author and journalist Ian Tott, and I'd like to thank you for joining me as we prepare to take our seventh look at the life and crimes of disgraced former British MP Cyril Smith. Before we get going, I have the normal show notes. If you would like to follow the Deathcast on social media, just search for the Deathcast, Deathcast Podcast, or Deathcast Pod. You can find me on most social media platforms underneath any one of those monikers. If you're interested in supporting this show, there's a few ways you can do that. First and foremost, you can go check out our sponsors. That would be Liquid IV and Blendjet 2. Secondly, you can go to your favorite podcast app and leave a review. They really do help get the show to more listeners. And lastly, you can go to buymeacoffee.com backslash the deathcast and make a donation directly to the show. All right, now that all of that is out of the way, get yourself something to drink, find a nice comfy chair, kick back and relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes. Let's go into the crypt. Last week, we had a discussion about what led to the closing of the Knollview School for Boys. And I alluded to that we would be wrapping up this series fairly soon, as there isn't a whole lot to talk about in terms of Cyril Smith after Knollview closes. In 1988, Smith was included on the Queen's New Year's Honors, where he was knighted, and many commentators since have questioned his inclusion on this list as it was really an open secret within British politics that Smith was a serial abuser. Many have wondered why it is that he was given such an honor given what the government in the UK knew about him both publicly and in secret. In the book Smile for the Camera, The Double Life of Cyril Smith by Simon Danchuk and Matthew Baker, a very good case is given as to why Smith was given this honor, but also as to why he was never prosecuted. In talking to members of law enforcement from all over the United Kingdom after Smith's death, one individual put forth the idea that because Smith was so popular, the powers that be may have believed he of anyone would have been able to gain sympathy from the people of Rochdale. I know I understand that this is a rather crazy thought, but we have to go back to Great Britain in the 1970s and the 1980s in order to get a better idea of the climate 
in Great Britain concerning child sexual abuse. There were two organizations which publicly lobbied for the normalization of pedophilia. One was the Pedophile Liberation Front. The other more widely known organization was known as the Pedophile Information Exchange otherwise known as PI. Now, these two organizations were very, very public and even got support from an organization known as the National Council of Civil Liberties, also known as Liberty, which, from what I gather, is very similar to the American Civil Liberties Union in that they fight for the rights of disenfranchised and marginalized groups. So these two organizations, they really put themselves out there as something of a clearinghouse for information on pedophilia. The reality is, however, that they were giving a very skewed vision of pedophilia to the general public, claiming that these were intergenerational relationships, not child abuse, and that those who partook in the abuse of children were in reality most concerned with the welfare of the child and gaining that child's consent. We know that this is absolute rubbish. However, they were able to convince many people in Great Britain and in British politics, for that matter, that what they were saying was sincere and honest. A number of individuals got behind these organizations, particularly Pi, advocating for their cause. One of the individuals to advocate on behalf of Pi was a man by the name of Peter Heyman, who was knighted in 1971. Heyman was a diplomat for Great Britain. Now, in 1978, a package was found on a bus in London filled with pornographic material depicting children. This was fairly quickly traced back to Heyman, who was operating out of a, an apartment under an assumed name. However, no charges were brought at that time. In 1981, a member of Parliament by the name of Geoffrey Dickens asked the question within Parliament, why had a man who had had access to NATO information been allowed to escape prosecution when this information could have seriously compromised the man? With magistrates eventually saying that it was in the Crown's best interest that no charges ever be brought against Heyman. This despite the fact that it wasn't just a couple of dodgy pictures that he had. When police investigated the flat that Heyman had rented under a pseudonym, it was discovered that he had massive amounts of pornographic material, including diaries detailing his fantasies of child sexual abuse. 
There was another member of Pi, however, who also had a great deal of public limelight. That was Peter Pelham Wrighton. Wrighton worked as a social worker in children's homes while also giving lectures across Great Britain as to the protection of children in care. Notable about Wrighton, though, was that he would write articles and, in fact, even wrote books in defense of child sexual abuse situations. And it's from him that Pi got a lot of their material, which I have already described. There are interviews you can find with Wrighton where he acts as though he's this champion of children's justice. However, Wrighton ended up getting arrested for possession of sexually explicit images of children and would end up getting a fine. However, it was discovered that there were historical abuse allegations which had been leveled against Wrighton that had never been pursued. And we, in 2023, are left to wonder whether or not Wrighton, with his association with various political figures, had not been able to escape the noose of justice because of this association. So now, with this framework in place, we are going to look a little bit more extensively at the things that Cyril Smith is known to have done and who knew about them. As discussed in earlier episodes, there were numerous police investigations into Cyril Smith's activities going back so far as the 1960s. Some officers have stated that they became aware of the things that Smith was doing during the 1950s, but were warned off of going after him. How true this is, unfortunately, is very difficult to ascertain. We do know that at at least one point in late 1968, two officers from an outside agency, outside of Rochdale, that is, were approached by their inspector and informed that three attempts had been made to prosecute Smith, with each one of those attempts having been thwarted. These two inspectors were tasked with re-interviewing all of the young boys that Smith had abused who had come forward, which they promptly did. Afterwards, these officers, by their own account, called Smith into their station, and when Smith arrived, he had his lawyer with him, and after questioning Smith and laying out all of the information, again, according to these two officers, Smith became visibly upset and worried and was sweating profusely. These officers felt that they had him dead to rights, however. This was on a Monday. On Thursday, they arrived to find members of the Manchester Criminal Investigation Department, also known as SID, waiting for them in their office. Now, these members from SID 
demanded that every scrap of information, every interview, every recording concerning Cyril Smith and allegations of child abuse be turned over. When these officers bristled at the idea and said we're not doing it, they were informed that the chief prosecutor was demanding that this happen and that these men from SID take over the case. The men had no other recourse other than to do as they had been instructed. And upon informing their inspector of what had just transpired, were basically told this was foreseeable as Smith is protected. And there are a lot of other instances of this type of thing happen in relation to Cyril Smith, as we have already discussed. Which is why the idea that Smith may have been able to sway public opinion once he became as powerful as he eventually was towards him is not so far outside the realm of possibility. Smith could portray himself as the everyday man who is being put upon and subjected to unfair treatment for things outside of his control, namely his sexual proclivities. And the officers who put this idea forward may very well be right. Smith very well may have been able to portray himself as the sympathetic pedophile, which is something we have seen others in this day and age in the United States try to do. We will get back to this topic in just a moment. Face it, shaker bottles suck. Your protein shake always comes out clumpy and you look like an idiot using the thing. That's why I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a BlendJet 2 portable blender. It makes perfectly blended protein shakes in just 20 seconds. BlendJet 2 is portable so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. And it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water and a drop of soap and you're good to go. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code DCASTPOD to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet. Dot com and use the code DCASTPOD to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Again, that's BlendJet.com and use promo code DCASTPOD at checkout. That's capital D, capital C, A-S-T, capital P-O-D at checkout to get 12% off and free two-day shipping. And we are back. 
before the break, we were discussing the pedophile information exchange and the idea that people in law enforcement and indeed further up in the British government may have in fact believed that Smith would be able to portray himself as the sympathetic pedophile. There's more to it, though. There is information out there that other individuals within the British government may have themselves have been involved in child sexual abuse, and that because of this, they were protecting one of their own. Now, this very well could be true, as has been proven many times in the past with other cases that we have covered, Often, when there is one pedophile in a group or in an organization, there are many others inside of that group. And they seem to gravitate towards one another and to protect one another. And it would not be outside the realm of possibility for Smith to have been protected in this way, as I've discussed in earlier episodes, Smith wasn't just protected a few times early out throughout his career. He was protected through the whole of his life once he began to gain popularity and did in fact continue till, till after his death. One story that has emerged concerning Smith takes place around about 2012-2013 when Lancashire police were going to release a statement informing the public that Smith should in fact have been prosecuted and it was to their great consternation and sadness that he never had been. To show you how politics really works, CPS, that's Child Protective Services in Lancashire, found out that the police were going to release this statement. But not only that, the police's statement was basically going to bury them alive, as they should have been. So CPS put out a statement basically whitewashing the entire situation by stating that Smith and his activities took place during a period of time when child abuse was not understood in the manner that it is today, and that were he still alive and still committing these acts, he would in fact have been investigated by CPS. Ergo, they shifted the blame off of themselves to the fact that during the period of time that Smith was most active, British law did not look at things in the same light that it currently does. This is a bullshit excuse in my opinion because even law enforcement members during this period of time knew, understood, and have since expressed their belief that it was in fact wrong during that point in time People knew that it was wrong and were discouraged and or threatened away from pursuing charges against Smith. So, CPS in Britain can 
suck a great big old bag of dicks because I don't care what period of time it is. If you're charged with protecting children and you discover that those children are being abused, I don't care if it's the 1940s or 2023, it is your duty and your obligation to pursue those allegations, no matter who those allegations are made against. So how did the stories of Smith's abuse make it to the greater public consciousness of Great Britain. Simon Janschuk was elected as a member of parliament representing Rochdale in 2010. This was during the period of time when Smith was still alive. Simon began to hear stories from his constituents that Smith had a thing for young boys. Mind you, this was really in the end of Smith's life as he died on September 3rd of 2010 at the age of 82. Anyways, Simon began looking into these stories as it became so much that he was unable to continue doing his job such was the influx of information that he was getting. The more he looked into it, the more Simon began to believe that not only were these stories of Smith's abuses true, but there had in fact been a cover-up of the things Smith was involved in. And it was he who actually first broached the question in Parliament about whether or not the Parliament and the British government was going to acknowledge the fact that Cyril Smith was more likely than not a serial offender of children. Obviously, he received very little response, so he again raised this question only to receive the response that the government was going to look into it. Basically, the Prime Minister's way of saying, shut the hell up about this, let sleeping dogs lie. Simon was not willing to do that, however, and he again raised this question during another special meeting of Parliament. At this point, Simon was kind of being seen as a nuisance. However, because of his persistence in chasing this down, coupled with the fact of the allegations against Jimmy Saville being made public in 2012, the British government and the British media really began to focus their attention on these historical cases of child sexual abuse, and one of those individuals they focused on was Cyril Smith. Smith ended up having a number of documentaries made on about him, during which the allegations from his former victims were finally given light. And there was a lot of condemnation towards Smith, as well as those who may or may not have helped cover up his crimes. There was also a lot of glad handling and ass-kissing at the same time. You've seen much of this type of thing in politics, whether it be in Great Britain or Canada or any country really in the West where some major scandal happens and everybody in 
power comes together and, you know, promises to do better and to not allow this type of thing to happen and to not allow people to get away with the things that they are doing, when in reality, it's really just words. Words without action are simply pleasant phrases told to appease the minds of the masses, and unfortunately, that was what was going on with this situation, because at the same time that all of this information about Cyril Smith was taking place, another story coming out of Rochdale was taking form, and that was the Rochdale grooming case, wherein nine Pakistani members of the Rochdale community were finally charged with grooming and abusing hundreds of girls, with the youngest known victim being 13 years old. This, much of like the other information that I am sharing, is exceedingly important in that Child Protective Services did everything in their power to cover their own asses regarding this information, as did the police. Child Protective Services listened to these individuals coming forward and telling how they had been brutally sexually assaulted by these individuals and turned around and stated that these individuals had become victims based upon their own life choices. I want you to let that sit in for just a moment. So, CPS states that these girls, hundreds of girls, were in fact responsible for their own abuse because of the life choices that they made. This after stating when the information concerning Smith came out that it was a different time, they did not understand things concerning CSA as they do now, and that in fact Smith would have been prosecuted had he been alive and perpetrating the crimes he was perpetrating then, now. CPS fed the lot people a line of absolute bullshit. It had nothing to do with that. One investigator for the police, who later left the force, stated on camera before God and the world that the reason charges had not been pursued against the individuals was that they feared they would be labeled as racists if they pursued these men and charged them with child sexual abuse. That is the only reason charges were not laid against these men when allegations of abuse first came to light. The whole bullshit line of, we didn't pursue these because it was the victim's responsibility for putting themselves in these situations and the life choices that they were making that led to this happening is simply that, a line of shit. The town of Rochdale was worried that if they arrested these men and charged them with the crimes that they had been committing, the international community would label them as racists. That mirrors the way that Cyril Smith was handled in that there was a fear that were he to be publicly charged with these crimes, he would be able to normalize the idea of pedophilia among the general public in Rochdale. Now, eventually these men were arrested and charged 
and convicted for their crimes, but there are numerous reports out there that only the lowest members of this ring were in fact arrested and charged, and that the higher-ranking members of this network, in fact, were able to get away scot-free. We will be back in just a moment. I'm on the road a lot, and it's really hard to stay properly hydrated on the road. There's so many choices between water and sports drinks, many of them filled with sugars and other chemicals that leave you feeling run down afterwards. But what if I told you there is a better solution? Liquid 4 is the category winning hydration brand fueling your well-being and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning, before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, and on a long flight. One of the things I like best about the Liquid 4 Hydration Multiplier is their delicious flavor options, such as sea berry, strawberry lemonade, Concord grape, lemon lime, pina colada, or my personal favorite, watermelon. But Liquid 4 doesn't just taste good, it's good for you. It contains 5 essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And it has 3 times the electrolytes of traditional sport drinks. But best of all, Liquid 4 is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy, which means that anybody can enjoy it, regardless of their dietary restrictions. And now, just for listeners of my show, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code DCASTPOD at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code DCASTPOD. So go to liquid4, that's IV.com, and use promo code Capital D, capital C, A S T, capital P O D at checkout to get 20% off your order. Liquid 4 Hydration. It's time to take your hydration needs to the next level. And we are back. I have myself a fresh cup of coffee. We are into the home stretch in our discussion of Cyril Smith. So now I've talked about Smith, I've talked about the Pedophile Information Exchange, I've talked about the Rochdale Grooming Network. Let's talk about the last few years of Smith's life. In 1992, Cyril Smith left Parliament for good. This after a series of exchanges with members of his party and other parties where Smith lambasted them and was basically forced to publicly apologize for his comments. In 1994, Smith's mother passed away, and those who knew Smith said this had a very damaging effect on Smith as his mother was seen as really the center of his world. Reality is Smith's mother played linebacker for her son. It's known that during the period of time when she worked in Rochdale as a cleaner, 
she was banned from going into police headquarters because it had been discovered that during the course of her cleaning, she would in fact go into files inside the precinct and remove anything detrimental to her son. So Smith's mother passes away and he continues on with his various business interests. By this point, Cyril Smith was an extremely wealthy man. It's known that he ended up becoming a guest lecturer on the Queen Elizabeth II, which, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have all of my notes in front of me, was something that Jimmy Savile also became involved with. He would go on the cruises with the ship, kind of like a celebrity endorsement. Smith did something similar to this, although he would actually give lectures while on board the boat, while Jimmy would be Jimmy and grandstand for the gathered masses. While Smith did not completely retire from public life when he left Parliament, to the public at large, he no longer had his hand in the cookie jar. However, it has since been learned that Smith continued to play an important role in Rochdale political life, exerting his influence over those who had come after him. Many now speculate that the sole reason that Smith did this was simply to protect his secret as well as his public image, which if you've been paying attention to the last six episodes, you'll understand was very important to Cyril Smith. It is more likely than not that this is exactly why Smith did, in fact, remain entangled in politics within Rochdale because he did not want people to dig into the things that he had been doing, was doing, or was accused of doing, and it's actually a very smart strategy because he was so important to the town. During his later years, Smith underwent a very dramatic physical transformation, losing much of the girth that he had carried with him throughout the majority of his life. This was because at some point, Smith ended up being diagnosed with cancer, which would eventually kill him on September 3rd of 2010. If you find images of Cyril Smith during this period of time, the last few years of his life, it is in stark contrast to the loud, boisterous man that had been such a face in British politics for the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And not to disrespect his memory, but seeing images of Cyril Smith when he was young versus during the last few years of his life is very similar to seeing images of Bobby the Brain Heenan, the renowned pro wrestling manager, versus how he was during the last few years of his life when he got, uh, I believe it was throat and mouth cancer, and he had to have the majority of his jaw removed. It does not look 
anything like the individual that those who grew up with him remember. Cyril Smith falls into that category. His suits really do hang off of his body, and knowing what we know now, it's a shame that he did not get diagnosed with the disease earlier as it would have saved hundreds if not thousands of young men massive amounts of pain and anguish. The last thing we are going to touch on regarding Cyril Smith is stories that came out after his passing concerning his sexual appetite. Some commentators have stated that he did, in fact, have particular boys whom would go on to consider themselves as Smith's boyfriends that he particularly targeted and enjoyed abusing. However, these stories only made a splash within the news media and were quickly forgotten. And the reason for this is... There really is no evidence to suggest that Smith was that type of an abuser. And the reason that I say this is 99% of the stories concerning abuse by Cyril Smith that I have reviewed really state that his was more of a physical assault than it was a sexual assault followed by fondling. That is not to take away from the victims of his horrific abuse or to lessen what it is that he did, only to try and categorize what it was that Smith was, which to me, he seems more like a sadistic pedophile than he was, does a sexually oriented pedophile. I'm not going to go on the record and state that he absolutely 100% did not commit acts of extreme sexual assault against people, but by and large, it does seem as though if this did happen, they were few and far between. Now, this last bit I am including here because... If you've listened to this show for any period of time, you know that I am nothing if not thorough. The man who brought the allegations about Cyril Smith to the public eye, Simon Danchuk, in 2015, stories began to circulate that Simon had been involved with an explicit text message exchange with a 17-year-old girl. Eventually, this would lead the Labor Party to suspend his membership in December of that year, and Dan Shook came forward and stated that he was sorry for this and that, in fact, when this entire thing took place, it was during an extremely low period in his life. I'm sorry, but that is inexcusable. By the way I was raised, the way I view that type of thing, 17-year-olds are still children. He should have known better, specifically when you consider how much he harped on Cyril Smith and did to get information public about Cyril Smith. 
Why he did this, I cannot say, but he did do it. It needs to be a matter of public discourse and on the record. Simon ends up leaving the Labour Party completely and decides to run as an independent in May of 2017 to represent Rochetail. He was defeated, and after this defeat, he stated that he would no longer seek re-election or seek to represent the public as a member of the government. My only hope is that what Simon did was simply, as he said, a momentary lapse of reason and an unfortunate lack of discretion and was not, in fact, tied into his honest urges and that he has learned from this and will steer well clear of individuals who are underage. Fortunately, only time will tell. Who knows, in a couple of years, a decade or whatever, he may pass away and we may hear stories about him. I'm not saying we will, but these things do happen. So concerning Simon, like I said, all I can hope is that it was a one-time incident and that he is no longer involved in this type of thing. Alright, this has been the Shadow Life of Cyril Smith, a seven-part series by the Deathcast. I honestly hope that you have enjoyed it. If you did, please like and share the show with your friends on social media, but not just social media, in your real life too. Tell them about it. Friends are asking you for recommendations of true crime podcasts. Please think of the Deathcast. I appreciate it. Until next time, the Deathcast is a production of Corpse Creek Publishing in association with Big Pond Podcasts. Stay morbid.